Hello, I'm Rachel Lyman, and we want to welcome you to Interfaith Connection, a Spiritual Life Center monthly podcast dedicated to the interfaith exploration of faith traditions that promote love. Our study will allow us to build bridges of understanding, acceptance, love, and peace. My partner in so many ways on this journey is Rev. Dave Lyman, Senior Minister for the Interfaith Explorers. He's an ordained interfaith minister and my beloved husband. This year, we will be on a grand adventure of exploring interfaith, and we're so excited that you have joined us. So buckle up and get ready for our 2021 adventure with today's podcast. Hello, this is Rachel Lyman from Interfaith Explorers, joining you on our Interfaith Connection August podcast. As always, we give great thanks to you for listening today. As we examine interfaith spiritual principles, issues, and growth in our lives. Today, Rev. Dave, our interfaith explorer, senior minister, and I will be expanding on our July podcast, which was called At Last We See the Light. During the July podcast, we explored the place of light in the history of human spiritual growth, some major light festivals in the world and the symbolism behind and details of those celebrations. And then on August 4th, we're excited to present an Interfaith Connection program at Spiritual Life Center, where we explored and experienced two light festivals, the Jewish faith tradition of Hanukkah, lighting of a menorah, and the Hindu faith tradition of Diwali, lighting and dissolution of a rangoli. This was a hybrid service. That means you could attend in three different ways. You can come in person in the sanctuary. You could live stream it from Spiritual Life Center's website that night on YouTube, or see it later online through Spiritual Life Center's website. Also, we're excited to offer a second hybrid service. So save the date, September 15th, and we will be exploring Two more light-based celebrations, Kwanzaa, which is a cultural celebration of the African-American heritage, and we'll be lighting a wooden canara, which is a wooden candelabra, and the Advent period in Christianity, which is the four weeks before Christmas, and that night we'll be lighting an Advent wreath. Well, in today's podcast, we continue our learning and defining the part that light plays in our spiritual life. So Dave, why don't we start, let's see, by expanding on the two light rituals we presented on August 4th, Hanukkah and Diwali. Thanks, Rachel. I'll be glad to do that. Let's start off with Hanukkah. Many of you attended or live streamed the August 4th service. And I want to remind people that the entire purpose of Hanukkah was remembrance around the miracle of light. The Maccabees retook the Jewish temple. The ritual of rededication involved lighting the holy temple light, but they only found enough oil for one day. Miraculously, this oil kept the holy lamp lit for eight days until further oil could be procured. Hanukkah is a celebration around the lighting of the menorah 
reenacting that miracle. Then we move to Diwali, the festival of lights. The homes, businesses, and community centers throughout the countries are lit up with candles during this celebration. In almost all Hindu homes, lamps are lit daily before an altar, and they're lit at dusk and at dawn, often burning all through the day and being maintained continuously. A daya or clay lamp is used in Hindu celebrations and forms part of many rites, including the Rangoli. The daya is made from baked clay and holds ghee that is lit via a cotton wick. So this is a little additional information from last month's podcast and the August 4th service. Remember, it is available on the Spiritual Life Center website if you'd like to virtually review it. Rachel, have you got more of a light topic to share? Oh, I sure do, Dave. Thanks for asking. I'd like to share some information which you discovered in your research about the use of candlelight in spiritual celebrations. Well, let's see. In the beginning of the first two centuries in the Christian church, which is only Catholic at that time, there was no evidence of ceremonial light used in the worship service. However, by the close of the fourth century, the ceremonial use of candlelight had become firmly and universally established. Well, the church then began to bless candles during the Feast of the Purification of the Virgin, also known as Candlemas, and they blessed candles for the whole year. Well, candles were also left burning outside the tombs of martyrs, a ritual which was established as Orthodox by the Second General Council of Nicaea in 787. Well, unfortunately, <laughs> people took candle lighting too far because they actually began to worship the candles themselves. So the church got really up in arms and said later that that practice is condemned as a sacrilege. So let's take a look at votive candles and their evolution. Well, as history evolved, votive candles became a mainstay in the Anglican, Lutheran, Roman Catholic, and other Christian denominations. They were used in the church and also on at-home altars. And they were usually burnt as an offering or as an act of Christian prayer. A typical votive candle is pretty small. It's only, it's white or beeswax yellow, and it's only about two inches tall and a half inch, one and a half inches in diameter. Well, let's take a look at Hinduism and Buddhism. Well, they use votive candles as well. In the temple, votive candles are placed either in the clay dia uh, candle holder or a butter lamp. Cut, Cameron, uh, cut that. And uh, Rachel, if you could start from the use of votive candles at Hinduism and Buddhism. So um, Cameron, she will be starting right after the size of the votive candle. Two inches by one and a half inches dim diameter, and then she'll start up again. Is there something I'm supposed to cut out, honey? No, no. I, I said the cut because that's where, where we he'll edit the two together. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, because sorry. You got lost there. And, and so I wanted you to have a restart. Okay. 
So I'm starting at Hinduism, Hinduism and Buddhism. Well, in Hinduism and Buddhism, they also use votive candles in the temple. And they put them either in a clay dyak, a candle holder, or a butter lamp. And there, can, the votive candles are lit for a specific intention, symbolizing prayers the, wor uh, the worshiper has for him or herself or for other people. Well, in the Anglican church, votive candles are lit for the purpose of praying for the dead. And back to the Catholic church, votive candles are also placed in front of a statue of Jesus or in front of Virgin Mary, the Virgin Mary, often at a side altar as well. Well, when a candle is lit at a side altar, it is a fulfillment of the vow or praying for someone else or to honor and seek help from the saints. Cut. Dave, your turn. What do you have for us? Thanks, sweetie. I want to share about the use of light in the Islamic faith tradition. A quote from the Quran states, God guideth to his light whom he will, and God citeth symbols for men, and God is the knower of all things. The writings state that darkness must be cleansed by restoring the collective vision of the divine light. The first thing God created was light. Thus, the significance of the mosque lamp within the Islamic tradition. The lamp is filled with symbolism. The presence of God is found in all directions of space and in all appearances. Thus, the quote, I was a hidden treasure and I wanted to be known. The verse of light speaks to the symbolism. The symbolism of light is central to the discussion of the significance of the lamp. One of the beautiful names for this lamp is light or allure. The verse of light expresses this in the quote, God is the light of the heavens and the earth. The symbol of his light is as a niche wherein a lamp is. There is no more perfect symbol of the divine unity than light. An early account referenced the traditional use of mosque lamps both for function and symbolism. It stated, on Friday, when the prophet entered the mosque, he was so astounded by the brilliance of the lamps that he addressed Tamim and said, you have illumined Islam as Allah enlightens your path. In Sufism, there is the concept of a prophetic light called the Muhammadan light, which originates from the prophet Muhammad, God rest him, and continues to be transmitted to later saints. According to a hadith, the messenger of Allah said, hearts are of four kinds. The heart that is clear like a shining lamp, the heart that is covered and tied up, the heart that is upside down, and the heart that is clad in armor. As for the clear heart, it is the heart of the believer in which it is a lamp filled with light. Symbolism gives birth to the verse that awaits the seeker in the outward and veiled reality, in Nuran Alanur, which is light upon light. Okay, Rachel, back to you. Well, I'd like to share what you found when you did research and about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This was quite interesting. 
Well, they have a special tradition which relates to the birth of the Savior Jesus Christ around light. And they have a huge temple in Salt Lake City and also a 10-acre temple square complex. Well, well, someday I'd like to go there and see this. The day after Thanksgiving, this entire square is completely transformed into a landscape filled with Christmas lights and decorations and including nativity scenes. And they have concerts and performance taken to a grand level at that time. And all of the lights in the square, the decorations and special events for them celebrate the light of spirit filling the area and also filling the hearts of visitors. That was pretty interesting. I'm glad you found that. So Dave, how about you? Well, let me speak generally about some things, sweetie. Light is the symbol of joy and life-giving power. Pagans had the custom of burying lamps with the dead to provide the dead with the means of obtaining light in the next world. In Europe, this practice was confined to the countries under the domination of Rome. By the way, the candles buried with the dead were not lit. In the pagan community, the candle is frequently used on the altar to represent the presence of the goddess. And in the four corners of a ritual circle, a candle represents the presence of the four classical elements, fire, earth, air, and water. When used in this manner, lighting and extinguishing the candle marks the opening and closing of the ritual. Using candles and magic based on Wiccan beliefs is known as sympathetic magic, in that it is believed the candle represents the outcome the person is looking for. Back to you, sweetie. Well, we're now we're moving on to the Eastern Orthodox Church, and your research found that they have a Byzantine rite, which uses a large amount of ceremonial light. A ceremonial process occurs, which is the reception of the holy fire at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem on the afternoon of Holy Saturday. This holy fire is referred to as the Bethlehem flame, which is a perpetual flame. If you light a candle from the Bethlehem flame, it carries with it the blessings from the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. Well, here's a story about Dave and I. We were blessed to have a friend give us a candle that had been lit. The, the gal had traveled to Bethlehem in Jerusalem and had a candle lit from that same Bethlehem flame. So that was in our possession and it was almost Christmas time. So we decided to prepare votive candles and light them from this Bethlehem flame. And at Christmas, at a Christmas service at Unity Spiritual Center in Napa Valley, we gave each congregant a votive candle that had been blessed by the Bethlehem flame. And that Christmas, we also gifted uh, anyone who came to our house, got a blessed candle, and we gave all of our friends and family blessed candles that year. So it was really, truly a very special Christmas. Well, continuing on with the Eastern Orthodox Church, 
when they consecrate a new temple, a bishop kindles a flame called a sanctuary lamp. And this lamp burns perpetually from that time forward. There are often lights, lights lit in front of church icons as well. And it's also customary to light bonfires during the celebration of Epiphany. So let's take a step back to the Catholic Church again as we look at ceremonial lights. In the Catholic Church, ceremonial lights fall under three categories. First, they may symbolically represent the presence of God. Second, they may be votive as an act of worship or memorial. And third, they are sacramental for the good of souls. Well, here's another story for you. Dave and I were taking a cruise, our very first cruise in Europe down the Rhine River from Switzerland to France to Germany. During that journey, we stopped at a number of cities and our last city was Cologne, Germany. And there we visited one of the largest cathedrals I've ever seen in my whole life. It had, that was a, a great example of multiple side altars. They must have had four or five or maybe six of them scattered throughout the building. Well, each side altar had banks of votive candles, which could be lit in memory of others. So in one of the side altars, I decided to light a candle for our family and friends. I went up to the bank of candles, selected one, and placed a donation in the offering box. As I lit the candles, I felt a sense of honoring and blessing and could feel my intention being received. What I didn't know was that Dave had taken a photograph of me lighting the candle. Well, when we both looked at that photo later, we couldn't believe it. We saw candle light reflected on my face. It was such a spiritual image. And that's one that inspires us whenever we view it. So if you go to a Catholic mass, during a mass at the altar, there are two lit tables, one representing the presence of God and the other, the adoration of God. Well, an altar candlestick consists of five parts, the foot, the stem, the knob in the center, a bowl to catch the wax drippings, and a pricket, which is a sharp point on which the candle is fixed. And the last uh, ritual I'm going to talk about at the moment is excommunication from the Catholic Church. That also consists of a ceremony where a lit candle is extinguished, marking your separation from the church. So that's quite a lot of information, but some very interesting rituals. So Dave, do you have some other faith traditions that use candles? Yes, sweetie, I sure do. It seems like every faith tradition does in one way or another. But let's look at Buddhism. In Buddhism, candles are a traditional part of ritual observances. They're placed in front of the Buddha as a show of respect. The light represents the light of the Buddha's teachings and scriptures. In fact, there is a Buddhist festival called Uban Rachachan Candle Festival. It's the most elaborate of the traditional parading of candles 
which commemorates the Buddha's very first sermon. At the start of the Lenten period, the devout donate candles to the monks, and they become the core event of many village celebrations. This candle festival has become a major event, and giant candles are paraded through the town, representing a local temple district. Ironically, the candles are never burnt. A common element of worship in many Unitarian churches and fellowships is the lighting of candles for joy and concern. Members of the congregation come up to the altar, they light a candle, and share a personal concern or joy with the community. It is so true that in every culture and civilization, you will find a duality around light and darkness. With Hinduism, light is Brahman, the eye. It is divinity and purity. It is supreme bliss in the power of the sky and liberation, and it is the illumination of the mind. Light is hidden in the sounds of the Vedas. When the mantras are chanted, they illuminate the space around and within. The Gayathari mantra is actually an invocation to the god of light, Savatar, to illuminate the worlds and the mind freeing them from ignorance and delusion. Light in the mind is purity. The light of Brahman dispels the darkness of death. Now back to you, Rachel. Well, thanks, Dave. So last month, we talked a bit about St. Lucia Day in the Catholic Church, which is, which is a prequel to Christmas. And here's another story for you. Get ready. So Dave and I do photo shoots, shoots, and one day we were visiting a small East Bay city, which was celebrating its heritage. It was a festival going on. And so it was a day of adventure for us with our uh, cameras. Well, the celebration festivities included a chicken dinner and lots of arts and craft booths lining the main street. We had dinner, and as we're exploring the various booths, we heard loud music coming from the top of a hill. Well, we followed the sound, and suddenly down the hill came a Catholic bishop dressed in his finery, spreading incense everywhere. Well, following him were marchers of all ages, and we assumed they were from a local Catholic church, and they were holding up signs honoring in honor of St. Lucia Day. There were homemade floats placed on small carts, and all the floats contained statues of St. Lucia. Well, in front of each float were two or three young girls marching, along with one older girl in her team to, to represent the eldest daughter. It was just a really lively and fun parade. So when we got home, we researched it and found out it was a very important Catholic holy day. Lucha night was the longest night of the year and a dangerous night. So after a long and threatening night, the day came with a procession led by the eldest daughter in, a, in the family wearing a crown with seven lit candles on the crown. Well, in Italy, St. Lucha Holy Day is celebrated by torchlight processions and bonfires. And in Sweden, St. Lucia is an ancient mythical figure with an abiding role as a bearer of light. 
The many Lucha songs have common theme of light. Here's an example. Here's some lyrics. The night treads heavily around yards and dwellings in places unreached by sun. The shadows brood into our dark house she comes bearing lighted candles, St. Lucia, St. Lucia. So that was a fun time. So Dave, how about doing a summary of how light interplays across all of the faith traditions? Thanks, Rachel. It's quite amazing that light is so spiritually based. We wonder why it seems to be a favorite symbol of God. Perhaps because light itself cannot be seen. We only become aware of it when it enables us to see. This is similar to God who cannot be seen but is ever present. You know, human beings have used light to denote the presence of God always. It feels like the lighter we bring physically to our location, the more our soul is enlightened. I am so excited that Spirit has provided us with such a clear delineation between the two parts of this duality, light and dark. Light symbolizes waking up as the Buddha has instructed us to do. The darkness is the unknown that is slowly locking us into being stuck in our old thinking. Stop and think that spiritual crisis is often called the dark night of the soul. Remember, I am a minister and I can't help myself. I believe again that we are made in the image of God. The image is clear, and we are magnificence. This means it is our duty to come to this planet to show up in full brilliance. It's our obligation to say yes and grow into the light of all we have come here to be. Finally, it is our spiritual quest to say yes by exploring what has been given to us. Today, we talk about all the different messages that have been given to us to stay awake and realize, awake is another metaphor for light. There are so many quotations and stories about the light. Remember Bram Stoker, who wrote Dracula, once said, there are darknesses in life, and there are lights, and you are one of the lights. The light of all the lights. Finally, Shakti Gawan has said, the more light you allow within you, the brighter the world you will live in. When we are in the midst of the winter of darkness, we recognize God's role and our role in bringing the light into the world. So my challenge to each of us is to shine on. Remember that the stars in the sky are places where the light shines through. So Rachel, how do we close this? Well, like you said, we need to remember that honoring light in our lives and its rituals is about remembering our divinity. It is in song such as, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. And it's also in prayer, the light of God surrounds us. And how many times do we say that prayer? And it's also part of who we are. We always ask the light of spirit to flow through us and enlighten us with knowledge and with illumination. So Dave, first of all, I wanna thank you so much for your beautiful research and putting this podcast together. 
We're also grateful for all of you out there who listened to us today. And if you have, excuse me, any questions or information about this particular podcast or any of our other podcasts, please contact us at interfaith at slcworld.org. That's interfaith at slcworld.org. And don't forget to mark your calendar for our next hybrid interfaith connection service on September 15th, when our topic will be Rituals of Light, Part 2. So please join us however you care to do that. And also, we ask that you listen in to our next month's podcast, when we will have an interview with a special spiritual leader from our interfaith community. So keep an eye on our marketing for more details. And I also would be remiss if I didn't thank Cameron and all of the SLC staff that help produce our podcast each month. Thank you so much. So for now, keep your light shining brightly and namaste. Thank you for joining us today to experience and explore a deeper understanding of our interfaith look at the world. Our next podcast will be available the last Friday of the month, but we want to hear from you. So send us your comments, questions, and suggestions to interfaith at slcworld.org. That's interfaith at slcworld.org because we want to know about your interfaith art. So let us all remember as we go on our different paths that Gandhi said, a peaceful exploration of all faiths is our sacred duty.